be seated. Well, again, if you haven't met me yet, or if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt, Pastor Matt. I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. And uh, again, I'm very grateful that we are here, very grateful that uh, we have the opportunity to bring our two churches together. I think this is always such a rich, meaningful, and uh, deep in experience to worship the Lord together. So thank you again, Christ Quest, for hosting and for being such gracious uh, hosts to us. Uh, I want to look at a passage of Scripture briefly this morning from Matthew chapter 20. So if you brought a Bible or if you have a phone, you can uh, look it up. And uh, as you're flipping there, um, the point that I think we're going to see from this passage is that um, there's a very famous parable that Jesus tells. And this parable, uh, you could boil it down to one sentence. It's, it's this, that the kingdom of God runs on grace. Uh, cars run on gasoline. America runs on Duncan. And uh, the kingdom runs on grace, which sounds uh, sweet and meaningful, and it is. But the reality is, the hard truth is that grace, before it can heal us, it has to wound us. If you think about, uh, I've heard that this is the case, medically speaking, if you were to break an arm or break a bone and if you don't get immediate medical help, there's a chance that that bone can grow back or can, can fuse together in a way that's uh, bad and harmful. And so if you do eventually get medical help for that broken bone, Apparently, the doctors have to re-break your bone, re-break your arm or whatever before they can properly mend it. And I think grace works the same way. Before it can heal us, before it can restore us, it has to first break us. It has to wound us in some ways. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at with this parable, with this story. So let's, let's look at it together. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to just read it slowly. I'll make a couple comments as we go. Uh, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You may have a different version of the Bible that you're looking at, and that's fine. It, it means the same thing. Uh, but I'm going to just read it and make some comments as we go just so that we understand this story, and then I want to briefly just draw out two quick principles at the end. Make sense? Read it. Two quick principles. So let's look at it. This is Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. It says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So hit pause there. Here's the context. You've got an owner, a wealthy owner of this vineyard, of this land. And the way that it worked then and the way that it works in many ways now is that if somebody was looking for uh, a job, they would go out into the marketplace and they would wait for somebody to pick them up and hire them for, you know, a manual labor job. And they're sitting out there and they're totally vulnerable and completely at the mercy of somebody to hire them for the day. So that's, there's a group of people out there waiting. Here comes early in the morning this uh, owner of this vineyard. And look at verse 2. He gets there and says, After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And I hit pause again. A denarius was just the, the, the amount that somebody paid them for, a, for a, a, a day's work of labor. So if you think the, the work day was 12 hours long, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., let's just say you get $10 an hour, $120 a day. 
That's what a denarius roughly, I guess, would have been, about $120 a day. So he goes to this group of people, 6 o'clock in the morning. He says, hey, let's go. And they're excited. They've got... They're getting paid for a day's work. They're not coming home at the end of the day. They're able to feed their, able to feed their family. And they go into the field uh, skipping, as it were. They're getting, they're getting paid today. Look at verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. And so they went and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So here's what this means is that the owner goes back to this marketplace at 9 a.m. And he sees some people sitting out there. He says, what are y'all doing? Y'all been sitting out here for three hours doing nothing. And they say, we, didn't have, we had nobody to hire us. He says, come on, I'll pay you whatever is right. And then he goes and he does it again at noon. Gets another crew, brings them back to the vineyard goes back out again at 3 p.m. People sitting there all day, basically. He says, come on. And then you see he goes back one more time at 5 p.m. You're going to see in the next verse, with one hour left before quitting time. And he goes out again. Look at verse 7, or sorry, verse 6. It says, and about the 11th hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. Just a fair answer. No one's hired us. And he said to them, okay, you go into the vineyard too. So he just hired somebody, a group of people, for one hour of work. And you would imagine they show up on the vineyard and they're kind of looking around and they see these people that have been there since 6 a.m. that morning. And he says to them, okay, what, what are y'all getting paid? They said, we're getting $120 for the day. And so they kind of do the quick math. Okay, it's $10 an hour. I'm here for an hour. I'll get 10 bucks. Not bad. Better than... Coming home with nothing, I'll, I'll, I'll get $10 for an hour's work. That's, that's, you know, it's great. So they get to work, and uh, 6 p.m. comes. The day is over. The owner gathers up all the workers together, and uh, it's time to pay them, time to pay everybody. And it's fascinating what the owner of this vineyard decides to do. He gets this creative, interesting, mad scientist kind of idea pop into his brain and says, I got an idea. Look at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. He says, you know that crew that's only been here for one hour? Let's pay them first. And then we'll pay everybody consecutively down the line until we get eventually to the people that have been here since 6 a.m. And so look at what happens. Verse 9, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So rather than giving them 10 bucks, he gives them 120 bucks. And you would imagine their eyes are saucers. Their jaws hit the floor. They start jumping up and down, screaming and excited. Oh my goodness, this is insane. We just got paid $120 for basically doing nothing. We barely even broke a sweat. This is amazing. And you can imagine what the people that have been there since 6 a.m. start to think. They think, oh, my goodness, maybe we misheard him. Maybe he's paying $120 an hour, which means if we've been here since 6 a.m., we're getting paid $1,440 for this. This is amazing. They start thinking of things they're going to buy. They start thinking of exotic vacations that they're going to go on. 
And then the next crew comes down, the people that have been working for three hours, and the guy gives them a denarius, $120. Instead of getting 30 bucks, which is what they thought, they're getting four times that amount. And they think, oh my word, this is amazing. 120 bucks for three hours of work? And then the people that have been there since 6 a.m., they start scratching their heads and say, okay, wait a minute. This is getting a little confusing now. And down the line, every single person, 120 bucks, 120 bucks, 120 bucks. And it gets to the people that have been there since 6 a.m., 120 bucks. And they are livid, enraged. Look at verse 10. Now, when those hired first, that's the people that have been there since 6 a.m., when they came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. They're like, is this a sick joke? What kind of crazy person are you? We've been out here busting our humps for 12 straight hours in the heat of the day. We've been sweating, breaking our backs. This is not fair. This is not just. This is not cool. What kind of a sick person are you? And then look at verse 13. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? He's saying, look, have I cheated you in any way? I told you you're going to get 120 bucks. Look what's in your hand. You got 120 bucks in your hand. I have not cheated you at all. Or maybe here's the scenario. You don't like it that I'm being recklessly generous with other people. Maybe you don't like that. Or maybe you don't like the fact that, oh, I I can do whatever I want with my stuff. Is that what it is? And right then when you're waiting to hear, okay, what's the response? Because it seems like Jesus just dunked on these people. what's, What's the response? What's the response of these workers? And you don't get a response. Jesus just finishes the whole story with this. So the last will be first and the first last. Jesus doesn't mess around. So here are the two principles from that story that I want to draw out. The first is this, grace wounds us. And here's the second one, grace heals us. So how does grace wound us? Well, you think about this story. Why in the world did the owner of this vineyard keep going back into the town over and over and over and over and over? You might think initially, well, maybe he, he underestimated how much work he really needed. He got there and he realized, oh, he didn't have enough workers, and so he goes out there and he needs more. And that would make sense to do if he did it once, but he does it five times, which means either this guy's the, the biggest dummy in that he has no idea how to manage a vineyard, He has no idea how to manage his own property or there's something else going on. 
And I think there's something else going on. I think the reason why it keeps going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth is because he has compassion for those people that are just standing out there, sitting out there. They're vulnerable. They're hungry. They're completely at the mercy of somebody else. And he wants to help them. He hires them for their sake, not for his sake. If you think about it, for, for one hour of work, that doesn't get you a ton of, that doesn't really make a big dent in a big project like that. He's not hiring these people because he needs them. He's hiring them because they need him. I heard a story a couple years ago about a guy named Matt LaChapa. Maybe you've heard this name before. He plays for the San Diego Padres baseball team. And uh, he uh, signs a contract every year and has signed a contract with the Padres for every year for 20 years. He doesn't play baseball, though. He doesn't contribute to the team at all. In fact, he's in a wheelchair. And yet every year he signs a contract to play for the San Diego Padres every single year. And the reason why is because when he was 19 years old, he had a heart attack and it was incapacitated. And yet the owner of the team wanted to be able to provide him with health insurance. And so gave him a contract and signed him onto the team every single year. And they've been doing that for 20 years, like I said, because the owner cares about him. So here you have somebody who's an employee and doesn't work. Here's somebody that uh, is a member of a baseball team and doesn't play. And yet he's getting paid. He's getting, he's getting all the benefits and he contributes nothing. And it's almost like Jesus is telling this parable to say that's kind of what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God. You don't contribute as much as you think you do. You don't need me or I don't need you to the degree that you need me. You're a part of the kingdom for for your sake, for your benefit, because, because you need this. If I were to give you a Christmas present this year, and I, I give you this beautifully wrapped Christmas present, and you unwrap it, and it is a bottle of mouthwash. And you say, thank you, Pastor Matt, and you receive it. What are you saying about yourself to receive that? To receive a bottle of mouthwash is to say, I needed that. There are some gifts that you can't receive unless you also receive the insult that comes with it. My breath is horrendous. Thank you for this gracious gift. (laughs) When you identify as a Christian, what are you saying about yourself? For you to say, I need a savior. I need grace. You are saying about yourself as I needed saving in the first place. It's like Jesus is taking this wrecking ball right to our pride and he's saying to be a part of my kingdom means that you're gonna have to admit I am someone who was desperate, someone who was on the side of the road. I couldn't cleanse myself. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't take care of myself and I was completely at the mercy of somebody else. And that does not feel great. That damages our pride, that hurts our our ego, and yet that's the wound that grace must give before it can heal us. 
And if you're willing to let that wrecking ball come in and smash your pride and to be able to say, I am desperate, I am needy, I can't save myself, then here's how grace starts to heal us. Let's look at that secondly. How does grace heal us? If you look back at the story, I think the the wildest part about this whole story is verse 8. Because we find out in verse 8 that this owner of this vineyard, he had a foreman. You see that? He he says, he calls his foreman over, hey, call everybody together and let's pay everybody. A foreman was someone who was involved in the operations of the vineyard. The foreman was the person that should have been going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the vineyard or to to the marketplace. Not the owner. The owner of the property should have been sitting in a a hammock by 9 a.m. enjoying the sunlight. But why in the world is this owner himself going back and forth and back and forth? That shows you something about this owner that he personally wanted to be involved. He personally wanted to engage the people that, that, that were needy and couldn't take care of themselves. He personally wanted to engage with them. And in fact, you know when those um, workers that have been there since, since 6 a.m., they said, uh, we've been bearing the, the scorching heat of the day all day long. That's true. But there's a reality to that that they had to. They really had no other choice. You know who else was bearing the heat of the day all day long? Was the owner. And he didn't have to. He chose to. He willingly went back and forth and back and forth, gathering people, taking his riches, giving them away to the people that needed it, gathering people, bringing them in. You see a generosity that that doesn't make any sense. You see an engagement and a desire for people that doesn't make sense. You see a willingness to give of himself to people uh, that doesn't make sense. And what Jesus is doing is showing you in this story, that's me. That's who I am in this story. I could have stayed in the hammock of heaven, enjoying the comfort and the glory of hanging out with the Trinity, but I came personally because I wanted to rescue people. And I came and I gave away of my riches and I I expended myself to the people who were desperate, for the people who were in need, for the people who couldn't rescue themselves. And I didn't just bear the heat of the day. I bore the sins of the world on my back. I bore the, pen, the punishment that you deserve so that you might receive the honor and the glory and the, and the blessing that I deserve. So here you have King Jesus, the exalted son of God, who's the first, and he makes himself the last, thrown out, discarded, thrown up on a cross, thrown up on a trash heap. Why? so that the people of the world who the, who the rest of the world sees as the last, the unwanted, the discarded, that they might become the first, the most honored, the most blessed, the, the most received in the, into the kingdom. The first became last so that the last could become first. So here's a final question for you. As you think about this story, who is the most miserable people in the story? The most miserable people in the story are the people who feel entitled. It's those 12-hour workers that have been there since 6 a.m. who have said, I deserve more than this. I deserve more. I want more. Give me more. They don't want grace. They want justice. And they are embittered, and they're hardened, and they're frustrated, and they're miserable And who are the happiest people in this story? 
The happiest people in the story are those who know that they are the least deserving. They're the people that have been sitting there for 11 hours doing nothing. And they showed up for one hour and barely even broke a sweat. They know they contributed nothing, and yet they received everything. They don't want justice. They want grace. And they got it. And it turned their mourning into dancing. And grace can turn your mourning into dancing as well if you have the humility to receive it. So that is the invitation for you and for me this morning. Are you in touch with your own sense of desperation? Spiritually, emotionally, physically, materially, when you get in touch with desperation, when you get in touch with your own sense of spiritual need and you come to Jesus with that, what you discover is that you have a Savior that is infinitely more generous than you realized, infinitely more accessible than you realized, a Savior that loves to bountifully, abundantly give grace to the people who know that they're the least deserving. That is the invitation for you and for me this morning. Come in humility. Come those who are the last and receive a grace that will make you the first. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that your grace would do a number on our pride that thing in us that says, we're good people, we're church people, we show up in the cold outside to worship, we deserve more than this. I pray that your grace would so humble us, would help us to realize that every breath we have is a generous gift from your hand. Every heartbeat is a gift. This time to worship together, to be together is a gift. It is all an act of abundant, generous grace. And when we see grace that is extended at the cross, the gospel itself, a Savior who's come that's given himself for people that's rejected him, people that's rebelled against him, this is a grace that doesn't make sense to us. This is a grace that is unfathomable to us. And so, Father, I pray that this grace would not just wound us, but, Father, would so heal us and restore us and reassure us of your divine self-giving love for people like us, that you love us enough to come for us. You love us enough to sacrifice everything in order to receive us. Would you get us in touch with your love and with your grace in a new way this morning? We ask this in the name of our King, our Savior, the, the, the owner of the vineyard himself, the Lord Jesus. Amen.